Good evening. Thank you so much for being here. As I've been continuing this series, sometimes people tend to say, when are you going to start your next one? And they get a little bit bored, but I don't get bored. And so these, these points I'm giving to you are so that you can be an undefeated Christian and get the devil off your back. None of us like the devil on our back. So you may, <clears throat> you may wonder, like, why is he talking about that or why is he staying on this series so much? Because there's so many things that the devil will come against you with. Last week, we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're going to talk about being reconciled, reconciled to a brother or sister. At our age, if you live long enough, you're going to be offended. Somebody's going to offend you, somebody you least expected it from, or you're going to offend somebody. But what we tend to do, all of us, is we won't talk to that person. And do you know that in the church, people will actually sit on opposite sides of the church so that they don't have to see that person. And we're children of God. And we were called to forgive. Can somebody say amen? amen? Well, let's start and get into this. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. And the Jews were quite clear that a man had to do his utmost to put things right himself before he could be right with God. And I'm going to be explaining this tonight. This wasn't a monetary gift. This was a gift of uh, offering of praise or thanksgiving to God. So when you come to the altar and you want to just praise God, and you're someone that you're not talking to, someone that offended you or that you offended, God says, don't come and honor me. Leave your gift here. Go and make it right with that brother or sister. Then come and present your, your offering. Now, why would he say that? I'll be sharing in a few minutes. It's because God is interested in relationships. Relationships. Say that word with me. If he wasn't interested in relationship, then why did he go to the cross to restore a relationship a relationship between you and his heavenly father. Jesus took our hand and God the father's hand and reconciled us both. And so God cares about relationships. He's not going to bless you and you're not talking to somebody else because he died for them also. Give God a hand of praise. <clears throat> so now we look at offender or offended. Just live long enough, and sooner or later, someone is going to upset you or offend you, or you're going to offend someone. And this happens quite often, also in the church, because there are so many of us, and we interact with each other sometimes in a daily basis. Now, here you are in church, and you want to give an offering to God. And again, this is not referring to money. It's referring to something you're lifting up to God, to praise him, to thank him, to express your love to him. And you do this because you want a better and a closer relationship with him. God created you, and he created the brother or sister you're offended with. He loves you both the same. Now, 
Relationship is very important, uh, important word to God. He's all about relationships. He won't allow us to offer a gift to him in hopes of strengthening our relationship with him if he's aware that we've broken our connection with someone else. You cannot talk to God and not talk to your brother and sister. There are families who won't talk to each other. Relatives. Something happened at the baby shower. Somebody got in an argument, and we haven't talked for years. How can that be? You cannot talk to God and not talk to them. In relationships, we are all associated and linked one way or another. Well, what, what God did show to us is all about relationships. God the Father wanted us to have a relationship with him, and he sent his son, Jesus, to make that possible. The wages of our sin is death, but Jesus took our place on the cross, a good place to give thanks to him. <laughs> he died for us so that we could be restored to relationship with the Father, and he took God's hand and our hand and reconciled us back to God. Now look at this image. That's a cross. That was a place of suffering. The vertical, which is from the bottom to the top, is between the relationship between us and God. The horizontal, which is straight across, is our relationship with one another. You cannot, as a child of God, have a relationship with God and not have a relationship with one another. And that is how Satan wants to destroy you by breaking your relationship with someone that God also created, that God also loves. Because if Satan can get you or I to be angry, to be unforgiving, and to be bitter against someone that hurt us, then he knows we're not going to get closer to God. And that's why I'm preaching this tonight. That's a plot of Satan. And we get our feelings hurt. We have emotions. I want to see how many people tell the truth in, her, in church. How many of you have ever been hurt by someone? Okay, we all raised our hand. I'm joking now when I say this. How many of you have ever been hurt by someone today? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> the proof of that image of the cross is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. That verse says this. Remember that you and your wife are partners in receiving God's blessings. And if you don't treat her as you should, God will not answer your prayers. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? A husband who treats his wife in the wrong manner will himself be unfit and unable to pray, not to mention that he will likely have little inclination to pray. To put it another way, a husband's spiritual health depends in significant measure on the way he treats his wife. Families will go weeks without talking to each other. They'll pass each other in the hallway and they won't talk. They won't say good morning, they won't say good night, they won't say excuse me, they'll just pass each other and won't talk because, well, she started it or he started it or it's what she said. And God is not going to bless that. But that's the way we are. If somebody hurts us, okay, okay. We think we're uh, Corleone. We think we're the Godfather. I'm not going to forget what you did to me. 
You're going to be hurt. I'm not trying to say, pull up your big pants. I'm trying to say, in another way of learning how to deal with it, because the one behind all of that is not your friend, your family member, or your wife. It's Satan. Satan is doing that so you won't have God's blessing. And it's embarrassing. You come in and you have an offering of praise to God, and he tells you, leave it here and go make it right. Guess what? He knows who the problem is you're having with. God is fully aware of it. So why does Satan want to destroy our relationships? The answer is because he broke his relationship with God, and he doesn't want for us to have one. Why? Because there's benefits to having a relationship. When God created man, God said that it was not good for man to be alone. And that still stands today. And then the Lord also said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two can accomplish more than twice as much as one, for the results can be much better, and if one falls, the other pulls him up. But if a man falls when he's alone, he's in trouble. This same principle is still as true today as it was when God first said it. We need each other. Turn to someone and tell them that. Don't turn around and say, well, can I have a date? I just asked you to say something in church. <laughs> Satan does not want us to have what God wants us to have. How does he do it? The tools he uses to destroy our relationships are anger, false accusations, dissension, division, and especially unforgiveness. And in the society we live in today, in the culture we live in today, as soon as you're not talking to someone and the other person immediately puts it out on Facebook or Instagram, and now it's out there, and everybody knows. Nothing's private anymore. Now everybody knows you're alone and no one's talking to you or you, you messed another relationship up. I know that in my own life, I have had to deal with anger. I've had to deal with false accusations and division and especially unforgiveness. So we must present ourselves continually before God so he can examine us and show us what is accurate and what is inaccurate in our perspectives. Anger, for example, can affect a person's relationship with God. For this reason, Jesus urged that all offenses be corrected quickly and person to person when, whenever possible. Don't apologize to somebody by sending them a text. And don't ever say, okay, I'm sorry, you happy now? That's not an apology. And don't say, well, if you wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done this. That's not asking for forgiveness because that's making it sound like it's their fault and not yours. The way to do this is to say, God has convicted me of my wrong attitude and my wrong actions. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but would you find it in your heart to please forgive me? And guess what? You said, I don't deserve it, and they're going to test you. So they're going to say, heck no, I won't forgive you. And if you get all blown out of proportion, they're going to say, see, you haven't changed one bit. But most of the time, when you go and make it right with another person, they've been convicted also. 
And especially, and this is what a Christian does. You didn't start it. You're not the one that kept it going. You're not the one that got mad. They got mad at you. They got it all blown out of proportion. But here you go, and you ask them for forgiveness. And you, and you say, are you kidding me, Pastor Mike? You want me to go to them and tell them that I was wrong? Mm -hmm. Why? Because before you even get to them, they're going to say, wait, before you talk, I got something to say. God's been convicting me what I did there, and I'm embarrassed. And I'm glad you came because I was afraid or ashamed to come to you. And you know how reconciliation is. Now that we're close again, now you can come to God and now you can be blessed. So the next question is, do you really want to be blessed? No, I want to act holy, but I'm not talking to her. I want to act holy. and Can the church use me as a leader in the church, but I'm not talking to him? You want God's blessings. How many want God's blessings? Give him a hand of praise. Now... I've known this for years, but I'm going to bring it in into this message today from another perspective, and it's not from the church, it's from the doctors. The longer a person waits to correct an offense, the weightier the consequences can become. Why? Because holding a grudge may be affecting your health. Grudges start in the mind, and they move to the body. A 2018 study by the National Library of Medicine goes as far as suggesting forgiveness is a public health issue. The report states that because the effects of forgiveness on health are substantial, forgiveness should perhaps be viewed as a phenomenon that is not only of moral, theological, and relational significance, but of public health importance as well. Jennifer Teplin the founder and clinical director of Manhattan Wellness goes a step further and explains, holding a grudge affects all aspects of your health because the mind and the body are connected. She says that when you hold a grudge, your body physically feels tight and restricted. And when grudges are nestled into your being, they cause obsessions about the past event. And Jessica McDonald, a PhD and clinical psychologist, says that these grudges allow the feelings of the event to stay fresh or grow into stronger emotions, usually anger. And I've already talked to you about anger. And according to McDonald, this anger could lead to multiple health problems, including high blood pressure, cognitive decline, meaning I don't know what's wrong with me, I can't think right, headaches gastrointestinal distress, anxiety, and also abusive behavior. And these are Christians we're talking about. These health conditions are all propelled by negative feelings and thought that eventually snowball. Negative energy can ooze into every aspect of life if not careful. Another licensed professional counselor says she has seen such medical conditions like migraines, strokes, anxiety disorders, and heart health complications resulting from long-term grudges. Not only that, these grudges can affect other bonds. When you hold a grudge, your mind sees the world through that lens. In other words, you may begin to see all people as malicious, suspicious, and not having your best interests at heart. 
And God knew that when we refused to forgive someone, that he had to allow this to happen so that eventually we'd go make it right instead of taking more medicine and more pills to get better when all we have to do is go and ask the person for forgiveness. Whether you're wrong or not. Pastor, that's hard. I don't know if there's anything else that's hard in your life, but that's not the hardest thing. What you want is the peace. You don't want the anger. What you want is the joy. You don't want the, oh God, here they come again. We need Jesus' love, and they do too. Come on. But why are we so hesitant to settle the issue? What's wrong with us? We're children of God, and guess what? Other people go, you're a Christian, right? Why aren't you talking to, I'm not going to mention any names because they're going to go, God, he knows about it. <laughs> Bad things happen to good people from time to time. People get hurt and others are affected as well. But all things, no matter how messed up we think they are, are still in God's hand and ultimately in his control. I have a grandson. The other day, he said to me, well, we took him to Lake Cunningham, Linda and I, and uh, to Raging Waters. And when he wanted to eat, I was sitting in an Adirondack chair, and he came and he had to sit between my legs and he pushed himself as far back as he could. And he ate one sandwich and he ate another sandwich. And then he says, he calls me Grandpa. He says, Grandpa, rub my back. And I started rubbing his back and he's eating. Then he wanted his cookie. Then he wanted his celery. But he just stayed there. Just stayed there as close as he could to me. And I realized what was happening. I just, it dawned on me what was happening. In the car, he says, Grandpa. And I go, yeah. He goes, I got your back. And I go, hey, Mijo, I got your back too. He goes, I know, Grandpa. And I go, do you even know what that means, I got your back? Do, do you know what that means? He goes, yeah. And he touches me on my back, your back. He doesn't know what that means, but he heard it. I got your back. And it was cool how he used it, but I knew he didn't know what it meant. Well, he was at his mom's house, my daughter's house, and he called me to FaceTime. And I go, I can't talk to you right now. And he goes, how come? And I go, because you robbed me. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, you stole my heart. All weekend, I've just been thinking about you, and that's what you were doing, sitting so close to me, eating those sandwiches. You just wanted to be as close as you could to me, and all this time, my heart is going into you. And I go, you stole my heart. He puts his hand out. He goes, here, Grandpa, you can have it back. <laughs> Why did I tell you that story? Because if you're raising a little guy, if you're raising a little girl and you're always telling them to be nice to others and then they see you don't talk to their aunt, your sister, then they go, either daddy or mommy, how come you don't talk to your sister? What are you gonna tell them? How come, how come dad, how come you don't talk to Uncle Pat, your brother? Well, you always tell me I need to, but why won't you talk to him? What are you gonna say? Well, you don't know what they did to me. Because they'll go, why? What'd they do to you? Well, they embarrassed me. Is that all? <laughs> they embarrassed you? I'm going to read you something here. Watch. 
There's four steps to repairing a broken relationship. One, talk to God before talking to the person. Talk to God. Two, take the initiative. Take the first step. Hey, can I talk to you? And I'll tell you, if you don't know where they're at, God knows. Ask him. Well, they, Lord, they moved out. I think they're someplace in Fresno. I don't even know where they're at. He'll tell you. They're in Costco right now. Go over there. <laughs> and there you are pushing the cart down the aisle, and boom, you run. Your carts hit each other. And you know you got to talk. And you usually go, hey, hey, man. They go, no, no, let me go first. And you go, no, I want to go first. God has convicted me. I can't sleep. I'm grinding my teeth at night. I got pain in my neck. I'm getting headaches. I don't want to live like that way. Because I've done funerals, and I've seen people literally try to climb into the casket, screaming. I mean, that's kind of awkward, don't you think? But what it was is they knew they should have asked for forgiveness before that person died. But they didn't. They let it go. And now it's almost too late because the person is gone. And they should have talked to them. Three, don't talk about what they did wrong. Confess your part of the conflict. What did you do? Or ask yourself, what really affected me there? Why did I take that so personally? Why did I get all uptight? Why did I disrupt the entire uh, baptism or a luncheon or a birthday party at the park by making a big old scene and everybody's telling me to chill out. No, don't tell me to chill out. Why did I do that? What, what, what was it about what happened? It's Satan. He's the one that's the problem, not that person. And he tells you, don't talk to that person. You can't even sleep because you keep thinking about them. And imagine if it's someone of the opposite sex, like if it's a woman that you hurt, and she's dealing with this, and then you're getting tired of it, you want to reconcile, guess what everybody remembers about you? You're an angry person. That's what everyone knows, and if you start another relationship, that person's, hey, I was on Facebook, and I heard about you. Uh, you got a problem with somebody else? So don't get into a relationship with someone else if you haven't made it right of all those behind you. Can, is somebody hearing me tonight? Don't go start a new one. And then cooperate as much as possible. Look at it this way. We didn't come up with the concept of relationships. You didn't. God did. Relationships are his idea. And we will not be allowed to worship him, to praise him, or to thank him if we're bitter or angry against someone. Actually, what they did, their offense is really showing you an area in your life that you haven't quite surrendered to God. That's why it got you so uptight. Had you given that to God instead of still being in control in that area of your life, that wouldn't have affected you. It would just blow past you like a gust of wind. But no, they did something, or they pushed that button, or they didn't look at you the right way, or they looked at you the wrong way, and you took it personally. People say, I'm not talking to you, Pastor Mike. How come? Because you didn't even say hi to me. <laughs> well, I apologize, but my eyes were closed because I was praying for this person over here. 
but people actually share these feelings with you. We have a tendency in our culture to want to make other people feel bad. Why? Don't we have enough problems to deal with on our own? For example, I take care of my car. I wash it. I detail it. And when I do, then Linda says, are you, are you going to wash my car? Well, I always wash her car, but what she's actually saying, are you going to detail my car like you detailed your car? <laughs> and guess what goes through my mind? She washes my clothes. Guess what? She even pulls them out of the dryer and folds them. Because if I say, Where, where's my shirts? They're in the dryer. <laughs> oh, Throws them at me and says, why don't you use those to wipe off your car? It doesn't happen, but you get my point. <laughs> if she's making dinner, she puts a plate in front of me. It isn't like, are you going to give me some? No, you have to make your own dinner. That's not going to work in a relationship, right? So we can't allow a grudge or hurt to get us because you're going to get hurt if you tell yourself that sooner or later, Somebody's going to hurt you because you're not a Hollywood icon. Not everybody loves you. Get over it. <laughs> I know it kind of hurts if that hurts your ego, but get over it. Or do like I do. They tell me I'm conceited, but I'm not. I just look in the mirror every day and go, I like you. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, you know, I'll smile at myself and I'll say, I like, and you should do that. You know why? Because not everybody's going to like you. Some people are going to go, you know, I don't like you. That's okay. I like me enough for both of us. <laughs> people want to keep others down. Don't let people do that to you. I won't, I'm small. I'm not a big guy. But I don't let a big guy put his finger in my chest and cuss me out. I don't let anybody do that. You know why? God never pokes me in the chest. God never cusses me out, and I'm going to let some home, homeboy do that to me? What is wrong with you, bro? <laughs> Here, take some of these pills or something. Get over it. Go and humble yourself before the one who is offended or before the one who offended you, and then you will know the peace, the joy, and the love that can only come from God. And the Bible says this. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he will make all his enemies be at peace with him. Yeah. Well, I didn't write down all 22 of these rationalizations. I only wrote down um, 10 of them. But you'll get the point. I'm not going to go ask him for forgiveness. Why? Well, it happened a long time ago. That's one rationalization. That happened years ago. Well, if it happened a long time ago, why do you still remember it? So they probably forgot it. Nope. You remember it. Guess what? They remember it. Well, I can't do anything about it, Pastor Mike. Why not? Because the one I wronged has moved away. Well, ask God where he's at because he knows where they're at. I mean, you know God knows where they're at. And that's why we don't, we, that's a rationalization. Well, I don't know where they moved, but he knows. And if you want to please God, Lord, show me where they're at, and I'll go over there and make it right, especially 
if you have to return some tools you stole or some money you owed or you found out now that they have cancer and you don't and they would be shocked if you showed up to pray for them right what are you doing here oh man here's the third one pastor mike i think you're making a bigger event out of it than i am because it was such a small offense it was a tiny thing, but has it been eating away at your conscience? Every one of us have a conscience, but your conscience doesn't yell at you, it whispers. The conscience is not God, the conscience is not the Holy Spirit, the conscience is something that God gave every single one of us, and you cannot shut it up and you cannot get rid of it. And right before you do something wrong, the conscience will whisper, don't do that. And I know everyone in here has heard your conscience. Somebody told me, Pastor Mike, you've been preaching these series and every time I'm about to do something wrong, I see your face. I go, no, I'm not your conscience. I don't know how my face got in there, but the one whose face you need to see is his, not mine. But you have a conscience and God gave it to you. But so does that person. And the quicker you eliminate the dissension and the frustration, the quicker the blessings of God start flowing back into your life. You can't get a job? Ask God, is there someone that I've wronged that I need to make it right with? Because he'll tell you. He'll even tell you their name. And he'll tell you where they're at. And you'll go and you make it right. And guess what? Not only will you get the job you wanted, but you'll get more pay than you experienced because it's a blessing of God coming in your direction. Come on. And then you realize it's not God punishing you. It's Satan that's doing this. Uh, here's number four. Uh, I really don't have to do anything, Pastor Mike, because things have gotten better. The improvement in their part, the one that's offended, is God's way of preparing that person to forgive you when you go and ask for forgiveness. And most of the time, when you go and ask for forgiveness, they cut you short. They don't let you finish. You go, no, 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 please let me finish. And they don't let you because they're feeling as much guilt as you are too. And before you know it, you're embracing, you're thanking each other, you're feeling bad for what you did, you're sorry, but so are they. And after you ask them for forgiveness, then you find out maybe something drastic happened to them. And now you're not afraid to show up at the service or the funeral or the hospital when the family sees you. When you say, well, I'm just being too sensitive. A sensitive nature is not something to shy away from, but rather to develop. We should become more sensitive to God's Holy Spirit and not be so calloused. We need to be in tune to God speaking to us and not be so calloused when he's saying, go, go make it right. Well, you don't know what they did to me. He goes, I know, but do you know what you did to me? And I died on the cross for you and I died on the cross for them. And then you say, well, and I've heard this one, no one's perfect. 
The standard of perfection you've set, though, is too low. I spoke to someone when every time I was around them, and he knew I was a pastor, he knew I was a Christian, but every time I was around him, he kept, he kept F-bombing like it was nothing. You know what, bro? He talked like that. I go, what? And he started F-bombing, and I got tired of it, and I called him. And I said, um, you know I'm a pastor. And he goes, you know what, you're like every other pastor. I go, well, if that's what you think, then that's fine. But you also know I'm a Christian. And I'm tired of you F-bombing me every time we're invited to your house. The way you talk about your, your, um, my wife's sister, the way you react. And I said, you have a lot of anger. And if you don't get that anger right, you're going to die. And it was a few short months after that, he died. He died. Now they told me he was on the phone while he was in the hospital. He called me. He was crying so much, I couldn't understand what he was saying. What I heard later is that the nurses were praying for him to receive Christ. And so I believe he was calling me to say, I asked Jesus Christ into my heart and thank you. I just couldn't make out what he said. And he said, when I told him, you need to change, I'm not your judge. He go, well, nobody's perfect. I go, I've known that ever since I was a little boy. I don't know anyone that's perfect. And he go, well, why are you judging me? See all those lines? I go. I'm not judging you. And then he said, don't I feel stupid? And I go, I'm not calling you to make you feel stupid. I just want to show you what a Christian is. And the way you are, I think you know about God, but you don't want anything to do with him. It's got to stop. I don't like hearing that kind of language when we're together. Number seven, well, if I talk to them, they won't understand. Our job is to obey. God will take care of their understanding. We're just supposed to, well, what if they do this? You have to take the steps to make it right. God will take care of everything else. Well, making it right will involve money, which I don't have. Asking for forgiveness doesn't cost you anything, but it may cost your pride a lot. Well, you know what? I'll do it later. Procrastination is the worst enemy to a clear conscience. Don't put it off. You're giving Satan a foothold in your life. And then you'll call me and say, I can't stop these voices that I'm hearing all the time. Forgive the person. How many of you have heard, let it go? How many of you have heard that? And none of us like it, huh? Don't tell me to let it go. Look at you, man. <laughs> Calm down. And no one likes to hear that. Calm down either. But the Holy Spirit is talking to you, and he's been talking to you through this entire sermon about things he wants you to make right. He's even given you the person's name that he wants you to talk to. How do you know that? How is it that you don't know that? The final one, this is 10 out of 22. Well, the other person was mostly wrong. You don't have to live with his conscience. You do have to live with yours. Where is the measurement for 
how much wrong they did compared to our wrong. I don't know where you find it. Wrong is wrong. And if our little children or grandchildren, they want to walk in our shoes, show them how to get along with people. And I know that the world has changed out there, but you're in church and I'm your pastor and I want you blessed. I don't want you defeated. So with your heads bowed right now, maybe I've only got three minutes left. Maybe God's telling you to make it right. Maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe God wants you to correct something. I'm asking you, don't put it off. Because if you die and you never make it right with that person, that's equally as sad. Do you know what a clear conscience is? The Apostle Paul said that a clear conscience is your greatest weapon against Satan. And a clear conscience is this. No one can look me, I mean, everyone can look me in the eye, but no one can point their finger at me and say, you offended me and you didn't make it right. And if blessings are not coming in your direction or you find yourself struggling financially, don't get angry with God. Ask him, have I done something wrong to someone else? Have I offended them? And make it right with them. I've said this. You won't talk to a person. You don't want anything to do with them. You're coming back from Palo Alto. You're on the freeway 101. It's 3 in the morning and it's raining hard. And you got a blowout. You open your trunk and you don't have a jack or anything to change that tire in the rain. And guess who comes driving behind you? Mm -hmm. The very one you can't stand. What should they do? Roll down their window and throw you a crowbar as they drive off? Well, what are you going to say? As they stop their car, they get out and they change your tire for you. And you're not talking to them. Because we need other people's help. We can't make it on our own. So Heavenly Father, as I come to you, I pray that my brothers and sisters here tonight have heard your Holy Spirit and that they will go and make it right and talk to the person, Lord God, that you're telling them to go and speak to. I want them to be blessed. I don't want Satan to have any authority over them. And I ask you to bless them and restore to them everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Good night, church. I love you.